Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Business Class sat in on a talk given by Greg Drobnik, the head of business development for HEAL, a hot medical startup. Business Class will make an ongoing project of following HEAL as it blazes its trail. In the first installment, Greg gives a masterclass on how startup funding works. Heal is an on-demand app that allows families to have instant access to quality healthcare. Access through the, the app on your iPhone or Android device. You can have a doctor come to you in under two hours, or you can book up to seven days in advance, and we accept almost all insurance. The part that we can't control here is human inertia. People are not used to the doctor coming to them at this moment in time. Decades ago, it's a little bit of a back to the future, this was how people saw a doctor, right? The human inertia has completely shifted to where they don't expect that anymore. They're not used to it. And with that comes certain trust factors. And so that's our biggest obstacle in getting this started was will people want to do this? This was an idea back of the napkin in, in the summer of 2014. The company was ultimately formed in October. And in our case, we raised $1.5 million at that moment in time. It was a very sort of modest amount of money in the scheme of the undertaking. But we knew what that money got us, right? And so that's one hugely important thing. Regardless of the amount of money you think you want to raise, really back in and think about what do you need. And we were raising a certain amount of money to do a certain set of things to prove a point, to then get more. Everything takes longer than you think, and it's more expensive than you think. So whatever you're projecting, just double it or round up. That money gave us enough runway to hire some good people in-house to actually build the tech, recruit some great doctors, and do a little bit of grassroots marketing to show proof of concept. We ended up making sure the technology worked, which it did, worked out the kinks, which is normal. You know, uh, We wanted to make sure that the doctors were happy with their experience and the patients were happy with their experience. Those were the fundamental things. Once we knew that we had that, we thought, OK, we can grow. Now, when we started, of course, we didn't have insurance coverage. That was something we had a vision for down the road. But we thought it was sort of interesting data that people were willing to pay for this, even that already had insurance, right? So that was a good sign. So you sort of pick up these, these things along the way where you say, hey, I think we're on to something. And so from there, we, we actually got invited to this, uh, there's a conference every year in Santa Monica called the Montgomery Summit. And it's a, it's a big venture capital thing. People learn about new companies and whatnot. And inside of the Montgomery Summit, they have what's called the Moneyball Competition. They invite eight hot young companies, as they called it, to present. And, and basically, you know, you're in kind of this shark tank, fast-paced Q&A thing. I mean, our CEO did a great job presenting, and we ended up winning as the, the best company out of this. With that came a little bit of cash, which was nice. But more importantly, there was a fair amount of influential media there from the tech world and whatnot. And so we got a lot of press out of that. And that jump-started a lot for us. And then at that point, you know, we, we, we just kept, kept going. The elements about Heal that I think are very unique is that a lot of our business is completely within our control, provided that you have financing, okay? And we're very fortunate to have a phenomenal supportive group of investors. And that allows us to be in control of a lot of our destiny. Those pieces are, will the technology work? That's very simple. You hire great engineers, you test it, and it should work. Doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect, but it means that's in our control to do properly. Hiring great doctors, training great doctors, putting the financial support to have them on staff in the first place, again, lots of hard work to get it done, but in our control. We can go recruit doctors, and we've vetted them properly. We can say, this person's great. I want to hire them. 
I was on the ground floor. Uh, I was actually there before the concrete was laid for the ground floor and it was just dirt. We wrote a, a rudimentary business plan and had a vision for how this would work and we got started. I can tell you sort of what we did and I can also tell you what's more typical kind of across the industry as far as how to get these things started and how to get them funded. In our case, both myself and our partners who were involved have run other businesses and so we all collectively had a good track record of growing successful businesses. So we had a semi-significant amount of access to capital. So in this case, we put a lot of time and energy into flushing out the idea, the plan, and the vision, and then we approached friends of ours, and we were able to quickly, quickly fund the company. That's a little bit atypical, and I think the more common process is a lot of companies will have a vision or an idea. They might have one or two key relationships that could help provide some early angel funding to allow them to get a little bit of traction, and then they would more formally present their company to the venture capital community, one step before that is actually incubators. Incubators have become a very common thing where funds or, or funds of funds have come together to deliberately seek out very early stage opportunities. And these incubators will actually give entrepreneurs the tools that they wouldn't otherwise have maybe, right? And that could be how to write the business plan and how to think strategically, how to fundraise. And so they actually put them in a little bit of a six to eight week crash course, helping these entrepreneurs who are maybe slightly less experienced kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. A lot of the incubators have a very high success rate in graduating companies to then get venture funding. So that's a very, very kind of more traditional route that's been happening a lot lately. There's no, no wrong or right way to, to fund a company. Raising money, even with a very exciting business plan and good people involved, can be very tricky. And so it's really just leaving no stone unturned and you know, calling on the different relationships that you can have there's lots of good industry conferences as well that provide access to, to traditional funds. In the early rounds, so an angel round, let's call it, right, where it's just the idea on the back of a napkin or very early stage, the negotiation is really very fluid, okay, because at that point, you have no revenues, you probably haven't done anything yet, right, and you have a group of people, or one person maybe, who's saying, I believe in your vision, I'm willing to fund this. That inherently is just a, a negotiation about what feels good, right? Typically, at the angel round, you're probably selling about half the company, roughly. One-third to half is kind of typical at that very, very early stage because they're taking the most risk, right? By the time you get into a formal Series A, you're selling approximately 25% of the company and then smaller increments after that, 10 and 5, etc. That's just very broad strokes. That's kind of the, the typical deal flow that, that you see, but it's very much a negotiation with, with your partners. As far as, you know, what valuations you get to, people who have done this a lot tend to know that the business plans are, they're just that, they're forecasts, right? Everything pivots, everything changes, and so I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be very fluid in that. When it comes down to picking investors, you have kind of two routes, right? If you have lots of access to capital and you have lots of momentum with the company, then you get to pick investors, right? If you don't, and that doesn't mean it's not a good company, but if you don't have the access to capital, and you don't have maybe a, a good story to tell a lot of press, well then you, you can't be quite as choosy, right, if you want to fund your company. At the end of the day, if you are in the position where you can, can plan properly to have choices and to think about you know, how to pick and choose, the strategic investors who really have knowledge of the space are the best because they can help you navigate so many problems that you maybe would encounter, maybe wouldn't encounter with their guidance. But there's a good mix, and I think you, you probably will always find that, is that you'll have a handful of investors that are purely financial. They're interested in putting money into a company, supporting the venture, and you can call on them once in a while, 
If they don't ever hear from you except to find out that you did well, that's okay too. Then you have the other end of the spectrum that are people that really have that experience in the industry. And that can be invaluable, right? Because those mistakes that maybe they made in their earlier stage companies or careers to navigate you can be, can be super, super helpful. If the valuations are the same and the money is the same, generally speaking, the strategic investor can add some more value, right? Just because of their knowledge base. If they're a very collaborative group that will sit down with the management team, with the CEO, maybe take a board seat and really think about introducing you to key people in the industry, giving you key assumptions, Generally speaking, that's good. Now, to go another a level deeper on that, there's complications, right? So if it's a strategic partner, you have to wonder what are their motivations, right? If they are strategic by nature, they may own other stuff. I say stuff loosely. They may own other things that could help your business, but might also help their business, right? And so aligning with the strategic partner on the surface is very good, but now you have to think about attracting your next round of capital. Have we put somebody on our cap table now that could be a conflict for somebody else? From the purely financially minded people, you have to ask yourself, as they have a larger portfolio of companies that they aren't as active in, what is the brand of their firm? And by raising money from that particular firm, they're a legacy you know, uh, financier in the business. Does that act as a defense mechanism for you? Right? Letting people know, well, if they have those guys in, their access to capital is tremendous, so we shouldn't even do this. Now I'm getting into the weeds of the complexities of that, so I hope, I hope that's, that's helpful. But, but the other thing is with some of the more legacy firms, they can be very helpful in just the operations day to day, right? So attracting talent. A big, big item, especially in the startup community, more so in Silicon Valley, but now here equally as competitive, I think, in certain parts of Boston, the talent pool is, is, is hard to, to come by and to attract you know, the right talent. So some of the larger financial investors, while they may not help you strategically in the operations of the business specifically, they could actually help you recruit great executives, recruit other financing as well. So I guess the larger broad comment is get to know your investors. Know who they are. As an entrepreneur, it's exciting to get a term sheet and want to move forward and get funded. Take your time with them. You know, as much as they want to have you meet all their partners, you should want to meet them equally as much and understand who they are as people. It sounds rudimentary maybe and simple. Take them to lunch. Take them to dinner, go to their home, play golf with them. That's right. As they do due diligence on you, you should do the same on them, right? Ask to speak to some of their founders, right? So of your company, when you guys have made investments, let me talk to some of the CEOs that you've backed. Find out what kind of collaborators they are. Because at the end of the day, the amount of time and energy you will put into investor relations, every minute of that detracts from you running your business. By and large, the venture capital community is not too difficult to get a hold of. And I say that in the sense that, you know, just fundamentally understanding the lay of the land, these venture capital firms have raised lots of money. Their job is they have to spend the money, right? They have to deploy the capital. If not, it just sits there. They make a little management fee, but that's not their business, right? These are people who you know day one. They're trying to give you their money. You just have to give them a propelling reason to do it. I will say the, the funds all have very intricate mandates, right? And so I think that doing the research ahead of time to know what that mandate is, right? They have an average check size they want to spend, right? If you're looking for, you know, uh, $500,000 and you're, you know, for an angel round to get something started and you're walking into a firm that has a minimum check size of $5 million, don't waste your time. And they're probably not going to get back to you, right? Because they're like, all right, we can't deal with it. So really finding out what they're, and there's sites like Crunchbase and Angel and a few of these that you can, you can see, like it's pretty open, like you can find out so-and-so ventures, what have they been investing in? How much do they put in? I mean, it's pretty open. 
Um, and so A is first knowing your audience, right? Um, and then you can always cold call and reach out to the associates and you know, kind of work it from the ground up. One thing I think that is super helpful is bringing in some advisors, right? So while you, a company, may not have the ability to go out and hire you know, someone who ran a major division of a company or, or a, you know, a major finance person as your CFO or whatnot to do a roadshow, because those employees would just be you know, a quarter million dollars a year and big equity and all that kind of stuff, um, bring in some advisors who you can set up a, a, a share, a pool of shares, and you give them a little bit of shares, right? Say, hey, we'd like to come in. You now get the benefit of their network, right, and their contacts. Um, and some will be more operationally minded, right, maybe with day-to-day you know, -day stuff. Others might be more financially minded, right, which you would want. Um, so that's, that's a big part of that. You know, having, having a base of advisors, you know, it's sort of uh, one-third will end up doing nothing for you. One-third will be sort of neutral. They'll help with kind of little things here and there. And then one-third will actually move the needle. I've had a lot of success with that. You know, and, and it's very flattering to people too, by the way. I mean, to call somebody and say, I think you're amazing. Will you be an advisor to my company? Um, you know, is, is kind of nice. So it's an easy conversation to have. Um, I wouldn't get top-heavy in advisors because you want to find out, do people actually have the time to help you, right? To have someone who's a great name, so to speak, be on your board or whatnot who won't return your phone calls is kind of, kind of not, not helpful. Um, the other side of it is there's a lot of industry events that take place, right, that, that you can meet a lot of interesting people at. And, and that, to, to Ibeer's credit, or, or I guess what's being talked about is, you know, you do have to network, right? If I had to rely on the people that I just had in my, in my phone book, granted that's a good, good start, um, I wouldn't be able to get to all the people that we needed to. And so in this case, I can tell you that prior to October of 2014, other than being a patient myself, I had zero experience in healthcare. Um, we're on a first name basis now with the Fortune 100 uh, in healthcare. And that comes from getting on a plane, going to these conferences, meeting people, presenting yourself nicely, obviously, and, and then following up to then get to know them. And that doesn't happen right away. And so that's where the advisors can kind of jumpstart that a little bit. A startup is a very, it's very much a living, breathing thing, right? And it evolves a lot. And the, the one thing that I would say that drives those business processes and ultimately the money you raise and how you get it is really know your industry. I mean, you should be an expert in whatever it is you're doing. That helps you figure out if the course you're on is good or bad. But it also helps when you're talking to people and to find you know, these interesting opportunities. We always thought, sure, we should probably have corporate clients at some point. But we didn't realize how much of a pain point it was, right? People overusing the ER and not using the clinics. That became a fundamental strategy for ours moving forward that we really didn't know going in, but we studied it, right? And we live and breathe it. So from there, it happened fairly organically. And we've since raised a lot more money. The one thing we do at the end of each visit, we ask the patient, you know, what would you like us to do with the record of, of what happened? A portion say, you know, please sync it to my current PCP, primary care doctor, or my pediatrician for the kids. And of course, we do that. Uh, an overwhelming amount actually say, can I just have my doctor upload the records to you guys? I want you to be my doctor. And so we've seen more and more people using this, again, not in the urgent care need of, I got to have somebody now, although that's how we meet a lot of the patients, uh, but using it in the context of, you should just handle my, my medical needs. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Business class. Expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.